Hey there, biz dads. Welcome back to another exciting week. We are uh, jumping in with our new format here. We've got a lot of fun stuff to talk to you about. I am sitting here sore. You will find out why, what not to do at this age in your life. But this week, we're going to talk about three key things. And those three topics are kind of something that each of us are going to hit on and we're going to talk about as a group. Andres is going to talk about the craziness that was Wall Street last week, the GameStop short craziness. Anne's got a really cool topic focused on women in sports. And I'm going to talk about the important, the important habit of kind of traveling with your kids and all those crazy things we try to do as parents. Let's jump into it. This week's Biz Dads. Hey guys, happy Monday. How are you? Happy Monday. Brad, how's your butt? You know, <laughs> always a question you want to get after a long weekend. Did you fall? Um, man, I fell hard. So for those of you that don't know, I, at the ripe age of 42, decided to learn to ski this weekend, and it was rough. The quick story is this. We went up to North Carolina, and everybody warned me that it's like skiing on ice, and if you can learn to ski there, you can ski anywhere in the world. I don't know if I would qualify what I did as learning to ski, but I got a lot better as the week went on. So I have made a point that I want my kids to learn how to ski. Long story short, my good buddy Todd is like an expert skier, hella skiing, all that kind of craziness. His two boys have been skiing since they were 18 months. So the six of us, guys trip, Todd and his two boys, me and my two boys, North Carolina, Maggie Valley. My boys have never been on skis. We got a lesson. That lesson started with an absolute disaster. 20 minutes, couldn't get my boots on. My calves are really big, those of you that know me, and I could not get the bootstrap. So I started to sweat furiously before I was even on a set of skis. Then we had these two instructors because I got a private lesson and then we got a group lesson. They were uh, the combined age of uh, 190 years old. We we just kind of got out there on the bunny ranch, out of the bunny of the slope. <laughs> bunny ranch, that's an interesting slip. We got out there. Ben got it pretty quickly. Ben's the oldest. He got it pretty quickly, pretty determined. He was not going to let skiing beat him. Andrew, poor guy, had terrible luck with his skis, and his skis weren't weren't fitting, so they kept falling off. And they kept getting packed with this crappy snow they have up there, and he was getting really frustrated. So we were in a total meltdown phase for the first few hours. Then he finally got it. I'm, again, sweating my nuts off. I'm just going absolutely berserk because I can't get Andrew situated. Ben's getting frustrated because he's ready to move on. I, this whole time, am trying to ski as well and can't do it, can't stop. It's like literally a Yeti rolling down the ice at groups of people uh, because I can't stop. So I just learned to fall, and falling hurts really, really bad. Wrap day one. <laughs> On top of it, I lost a brand-new $600 GoPro 9. No. Let that sink in. And on top of it, not only was there was it a GoPro 9 – which was, you know, 450 bucks. There was a $200 SD card in there because I'd bought a terabyte SD card. Yikes. Ouch. I'm Ouch. so I was so so visibly mad that I can't even begin to tell you how bad of a day this was in my parenting mm. life. Mm. We wrap that night. <laughs> we You didn't have a cocktail, I know. Dude, oh my god, I drank like half a bottle of bourbon. My body was already <laughs> aching. Uh, we got up the next morning and the next day was amazing. It was like, God said, I've given you enough for, for one weekend. I'm going to go ahead and make it great. And then the boys both got it. I started to get it. I still can't stop. It's still very dangerous. If you see me coming down the slopes, there's no pizza in man. When you're this big, you can't pizza or French fry or whatever the hell you want to call it. Wedge. You, yeah. You can't yeah. no, there's no wedging because gravity is working against me in a lot of different ways, more than it is you guys. <laughs> and all I can tell you is uh, I took one massive spill on the big, the big slope that I did so bad that I verbally screamed out. Oh, and Todd was like, he thought I was really hurt and he was skiing behind me, oh my uh, gosh. but we survived and I am better for it. And we'll talk more about my adventure as we go on. But what a weekend. It was nuts. And on top of that, I decided to go you – know, I had to trade my card in today. I had to get a new car too. So it has been a crazy, crazy weekend. Uh, but I am 
uh, $600 something dollars down because a GoPro is either in the pocket of some lifty or uh, in, buried in the snow in North Carolina. So how was y'all's weekend? Top that. And I don't know if I'm going to even try. I don't think that we got outside a whole lot here back in the, the quiet, comfy confines of Smyrna. So I, I should defer to you, but Brad, that's, but let's go to Ann. I had a blast of a weekend. We had a private sushi chef come to our house on Friday. So we had a little get together and he was very, gosh, what's the right word? Exuberant or he had a very big personality and it just made the party very fun. And he like danced. It was crazy, but it was really fun. It sounds fun. I've All never, right. uh, Never had a chef in the house. You fancy. That sounds like it's a good time. That's fancy. I'm with you. You fancy. What does it That's cost awesome. to have a private sushi chef come to your house? Uh, there was 20 people, and it costs $50 a person. COVID friendly. Brad, we have uh, officially crossed over to uncool. I can't tell you if I've ever even had 20 people in my house since I've lived here. <laughs> I know you have because I've DJed parties where you you've had 20 people, but not during COVID. Course. No, not during COVID. I will tell you this. Oh, I, cool. I am hoping that we were very smart and tried to stay out of the lodge and all that stuff. But you start to freak out a little bit when you get into uh, big settings. I don't know about yeah, you guys, but no, Anne doesn't care because she's like, now she's 10 feet tall and bulletproof from COVID having got it twice. My mom got her vaccine on Friday too, which was a big deal. And huge news in the Olecki household, Papa Bruce sank his first hole in one. Wow. That was day. that was a big day for him. So not while I was painfully learning to ski, he was out golfing. And, you know, and, three weeks past and, his COVID, he's got, he gets his hole in one. That's awesome. I know he's a big golfer. All right. Let's jump into a couple of our topics here. Here we go. This week's Hot Topics. All right, Andres. Last week was nuts. You and I were texting about it. I think we touched on it last week a little bit. A couple things. One... I don't know how many people know what a short and a long is and how the stock market works with that kind of stuff. Two, it went berserk in the world of the grassroots investing. I don't know what the official term is. You can correct me here. But in basically the public going up against the big funds, and it became literally Robin Hood. And that's relevant because you'll talk more about that in a second. Uh, Talk to us about it. Let's talk about what happened in the market last week. GameStop. Ticker GME had a made-for-TV week. Literally, there's going to be films coming out. I read in the paper today that Netflix has already begun production of a show, and one of the major Hollywood studios bought the rights to a script. So what happened last week with the stock, GME is the ticker, GameStop. This is the, the video game retail store, right, where... You go to the mall and you could buy used games, new games. So GameStop <clears throat> went on a went on a tear last week. The stock was up, Brad, can you believe it? 500% between January 25th, which was Monday, and Friday. In three days, literally the stock gained more than some stocks have gained in the last decade. So it's just a, it was an unprecedented week. And you touched on the individual investor going up against some of the big Wall Street uh, funds which we'll, we'll sort of talk about. I guess an analogy would probably be the best way to kind of start. As Jason Zweig, the, uh, this is a, a famous, well-known columnist for the Wall Street Journal, said, quote, it was a bunch of amateur traders who made Wall Street's finest look like idiots. And since we talk about sports a lot, he went on to say, it's as if a bunch of couch potatoes, like you and me, watching the Lakers on TV, Finished our beers and our nachos, barged onto the court, and proceeded to dunk on LeBron and Anthony Davis. I will tell you this, man. It was interesting. I saw one because it kind of it it entered into, and we'll talk more about this. It entered into our world of the sports business, to where Steve Cohen, who just bought the Mets, had to go in and bail out the fund. And you can talk more about that. People were sending him death threats. He left Twitter. Because people were so passionate about what was going to, how it was going to impact the Mets. And I saw like Barstool and all of these places, they were talking about it regularly, frequently, multiple times each day. And people were having watch parties, watching the stock ticker in real time, seeing what happened. 
It's nuts, man. It's like nothing I've ever seen. Yeah. Mainstream no, you're a, you're on like the yeah, you're on like the 60th minute of this movie. So, let's set the stage. So, GameStop <laughs> going into the end of last year was less than a $20 stock. It was what is called a small cap stock. It it uh it was not broadly held by lots of mutual funds. It was frankly a business that a lot of people had sort of left for dead and said the days of going into a physical retail store to buy a video game are over, right? Yeah, man, it was and Blockbuster. So, it was, it was right. like Blockbuster. It was a lot of people comparing it to Blockbuster. Yep. And so <clears throat> there was two groups of investors, if you simplify it. There was the group who was quote-unquote short, GameStop, which they're, you know, investing, believing the stock's going to go down. And we'll talk about what shorting a stock means. And then there was a group of what I guess could be called online traders, day traders, who began to use social media and Reddit in particular, and in particular, a Reddit channel called Wall Street Bats. They started chattering um, back at the end of last year, even well in earlier in 2019 about their belief that these big hedge funds were missing the story on GameStop. And so they started posting about trades they were making in GameStop stock and options they were buying that the stock would go up. So you've got the stage set, right? One of the big hedge funds that was short the stock, believing that GameStop would go down, was a fund run by a protege of Steve Cohen. Steve Cohen, you just mentioned, was the owner of the Mets. He's the wealthiest owner in Major League Baseball. Estimated net worth of close to $15 billion, according to Forbes. Just bought the Mets. A lot of people say that Billions, the TV show uh, on um, Showtime, is kind of loosely based on Steve Cohen. So one of his protégés, Gabriel Plotkin, at Melvin Capital Management, is one of the biggest names in the hedge fund industry. He's managing $12 billion, and he's short GameStop, thinking the stocks can go down. There's a whole group of online guys and gals that are day traders that are saying, no, let's go bid the stock up. Let's buy it. And over the course of last week, the stock was up. 500%, which created what's called a classic short squeeze, where the stock started to climb from 20 to 100 to 200 and ended the week at close to over four or $500. So explain to me uh, and the group what a short is, why someone would take a short, and then how why people had problems with the short and kind of why they created that short squeeze. Let's just say you think Tesla is overvalued and the stock's trading at $500 a share, okay? And you think that that's too much. You don't think that Tesla's worth $500, okay? So what you're going to do is you're going to go on your Robinhood app or you're going to call your broker, right? And you're going to say, I think that Tesla's going down. It's not worth 500 So you're going to short the stock, which means you're going to borrow, okay, 10 shares from your broker, okay? So you've now borrowed 10 shares of Tesla, okay? And it's at 500 today. If it goes down to 400, okay, you've borrowed that stock. You can now buy the stock at 400, right? Repay your broker and pocket the difference. Does that make sense? You're betting the stock will go down. So- how do you, what's the point of borrowing the stock? Explain that part of it. Like here I am, I'm going to borrow the stock from somebody. Talk me through exactly what that means. So you're borrowing, you're borrowing the stock today at 500, right? Right. And you're going to have to replace it obviously at some point. Okay. So you're borrowing it at five. If it trades down, the short concept is that you think the stock's going down. If it trades down below five, Right now, you can right replace the stock that you bought and keep the difference. So you're expecting that the stock price is going to go down when you quote unquote short the stock. Got it. Okay. So the other side of that is what most people do in their brokerage account, which is just 
you're buying a stock like Tesla at 500 and you think the stock's going to go up, right? So you buy it at 500, you look at your account and you hope that, you know, it's at 600 one day, right? So if you sold it, you've got the difference between 500 and 600, right? Etc. So you have two different sides of basically the trade. So you had this big hedge fund that was short GameStop and was expecting that the stock was going to go, you know, down. I don't know ultimately what their expectation was. But then you had all these day traders that said, no, 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 let's go buy the stock, right? And so they started buying the stock and buying options, right? Not short options, but what are called long options, right? Call options. So they were buying options if the stock was, say, at 50, they were buying options for the right to buy the stock at, say, 60 or 70. And so imagine if the stock went to 200, Brad. They have the right to buy it at 70. It's at 200, right? So they've automatically got a profit built in, right? So those options are what are called in the money. Got and it. so what happened to the guy who was short, the hedge fund, is let's just say that GameStop was at $30, when he shorted it and he thought it was going to go to 10, right? Imagine he wakes up one day and the stock's at 100. Now he's got to replace all those shares, right, that he originally borrowed and he's not he's not replacing them at 20, right? He's replacing them at 100 and that stock over the over 5 days last week was up 500%. So that classic short squeeze took place where they had to close out that position and they had to spend a lot of money to go and acquire the shares, right, to replace what they had borrowed. And so bring it back to Steve Cohen. Steve Cohen's protege is this hedge fund manager, Gabriel Plotkin and Melvin Capital. They put in $750 million to bail out the fund because the banks that were working with the hedge fund started saying, look, you're going to have to put up more capital. Otherwise, we're not going to do business with the fund. So he steps in, he puts in 750, right? And then he and another big hedge fund manager stepped in and put in even more money. Uh, I think over the over the course of last week, they put in over a billion dollars to prop up this hedge fund, basically to save it. So that's one of the reasons why the the Netflix and the the, the studios came crying, you know, saying like, we got to make a movie out of this thing because you literally did have people trading at home in their car, on their basement, on their phone, who were willing to just take a shot and say, you know, the stocks today, literally last week on Monday, Brad, when we did the show, the stock was at 77 bucks on Monday. It ended the week at, I think, 400. Yeah, what it, it so just doesn't talk, happen. Normally. Talk to us about how it, it's really interesting how it stopped. What happened for it to kind of stop this crazy growth and for it to come back down to earth? Well, so then during the course of the week, with all this volatility, as you were saying, people were gathered around the water cooler watching the stock. It was the only thing people were paying attention to last week in the market. And Robinhood, which was one of the major platforms for a lot of this day trading, stopped transacting in the stock because they were having to post more capital for every trade that was taking place. And so they caught a lot of flack because Robinhood was created for the whole purpose of democratizing the investing marketplace, you know, offering in individual investors the ability to trade with no commissions, right? You didn't have to have hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars to go open an account. You literally could open up an account with 50 bucks you know, and start trading. And so it became wildly popular. And it's one of the reasons why they went from half a million accounts six years ago to today, they have like 13 million. And it's a lot of do-it-yourself investors, you know, people that maybe they haven't invested professionally before with an advisor, financial advisor. And because there's so much momentum in the market, they've opened up these Robinhood accounts and started trading. But because there was so much volatility, they stopped accepting orders and literally only today did they start allowing, I believe, trading, maybe Friday, in limited quantities in Robinhood and some other stocks. And 
as a result of all the volatility, Robinhood, which is not a public company, had to go out and raise over the last week $3.4 billion in additional capital from their backers who are large venture funds and uh, institutional investors. So, wow. so what's the moral of the story here? Give us something to keep an eye on, to look out for, maybe take advantage of something like this in the future. Kind of what's your, you know, your 92nd piece of advice? Well, if you like roller coasters uh, and you have money to not retire on, but if you have money that you can sort of play with, these are the kinds of things that, you know, some people enjoy doing just because it's an opportunity to sort of experience, you know, the craziness of, of the markets from time to time. I mean, I, I think if you look at how the stock is done, it was at a little over 40 bucks a share on January 22nd. Today, it's at 225. You know how much it was down today? So down a hundred bucks today. So almost 30%. And then after market hours, after hours trading is what they call it, it was down another 16%. So the story's not over. A lot of people are taking profits, meaning they're selling their stock and they're moving on. So silver was another trade that was really popular today. And I think one of the morals of the story is social media, day traders, platforms like Reddit, apps like Robinhood, these are all new market participants and market forces that didn't exist, you know, five, 10 years ago. So I think people are going to start paying more attention to what individuals are doing. And I think individuals are going to start looking over their shoulder and saying, well, is my financial advisor the best place for me to get news and information or is Reddit or is it my buddies? Uh, and I'm not saying that one's better than the other. I do think people need to be very, very careful when investing into this market because I think there's a lot of momentum. There's not a lot of liquidity and you can have extreme volatility like we saw today in GameStop and there's going to be a lot of people wiped out when the market has a pullback. And we haven't seen that yet. The market continues to move up. We've talked about that on the show. But that's one of the concerns that I think a lot of the regulators have and a lot of the, the people that are paying attention is that the individual investor, in some respects, could be left holding the bag here. But there was a lot of individual investors that did really, really well last week. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, again... Social media is a scary beast. Now, there are also hedge funds and whatnot. They're going to learn how to use it. They've learned something from this. They will learn how to maximize the conversation or, or, you know, uh, monetize the conversation. And if they're smart and hire the right people, they can use this as a crazy useful tool as well, I think. Because they learned a lot during all this, too. And they have a hell of a lot more resources to learn how to use it for people who are just paying attention to it on the periphery. Yes. Yeah. All right. Hey, man, that's a good topic. Good stuff. Let's jump into this week's Talks with Twist. Twist. Beginning of the year, we talked about how we need more twist time. We need a different angle from you. They don't need to just hear it from us all the time. So give it to us. What's on your mind? Well, how great to start my first topic than something I'm passionate about, which is women in sports. There's a million different directions. I feel like we could take this conversation, and I'm sure we're going to hit all of them one day. But recently, it's been hitting me more that I would like to watch sports with my roommates sometimes, and just no one is interested. And it just got me thinking that why are women so not interested in sports? And I don't know how to change that even though i'm like a 40 percent person who likes to watch sports but the majority of my friends are at a two percent and only watch super bowl in march madness so how to get girls to start watching more sports and i did a bunch of research today and it's pretty much because one we don't have 
female coaches. And the reason I think I stayed with tennis for so long is because I had a female coach and she was like a huge mentor to me. And it was like awesome to look up to her. So I was always like women can be like involved. And my parents also pushed me really hard. I had a lot of external factors of why I stuck with tennis for as long as I did. But other people aren't as lucky as me. I think it's because we don't have enough female coaches, which we only have a quarter of all coaches in the world are female. But another thing I think that we don't have enough is is women's sports on television. And I know that media is trying to get better at it, but there's only 3.2 sports media coverage devoted to women's sports. So we're not like not only are we not coaches, we don't see it on TV, and then there's just not a lot of famous women players that we can look up to, like as much as Mia Hamm is and Serena Williams. Those are two huge ones, but there's not a million other. And what was the number you said about the percentage of women's sports to men's sports on TV? No, it's 3.2% of sports media coverage is devoted to women's sports. So only 3.2% of all sports on broadcast is women's sports. That's crazy. So let me ask you this question. You and your roommates, would you watch, um, would you guys like sit down and pay, pay close attention to the Women's World Cup or no. Hamilton? Or do you watch a WNBA game? You don't, you don't pay attention to it, even if it is a women's sport. Unfortunately not. What do you think, what are they doing instead? Like, what are things that are occupying the time in big groups? Reality TV, they're not watching TV. Reality TV slash Bachelor slash, yeah, watching other TV. So what do they tell you? Like, Super Bowl's coming up this weekend. Are you guys all going to get together and watch it? Yeah, that was another thing I kept reading was the only reason we do watch sports is because, like, it's relationship forming and you get to be around people. But it's never really about the actual sport. Like, no women are watching sports by themselves but we will watch it because we're in a group so yes i will watch it on sunday so it's more like social it's it's more like social gatherings that sports happen to be on yeah what about what about your roommates where did they go to college football because what i've learned in, in my 20 plus year career doing this is college sports does capture the largest female audience and it's usually because there is a very close association. Your love for Clemson stems from the fact that you graduated from Clemson. You fell in love with game days in the fall on campus, right? I mean, I think what I would imagine all those things are accurate, right? Like that's when you fell in love with watching college football. Yeah. My dad also went there. So I grew up loving Clemson. So I've had a love for it my entire life. That's when mine's a little bit stronger. So do you think your relationship with your dad watching sports helped a lot? Yeah, I would say so. Definitely bonding for us. Now, listening to the statistics and thinking about this, I mean, my daughter, she played soccer at four or five years old, and she gave it up temporarily for like four years. And then this last season, she said, hey, I want to play soccer. As I was out there watching her, Anne, I got to talking with the head of the Youth Academy girls program in Smyrna. One of the things that was really sad is all the statistics you just talked about in terms of a lack of women's coaches and girls not having role models was exactly what this uh, director, the the new women's girls director for Smyrna Soccer, talked about. Mm -hmm. And she was a college athlete. I was just asking her what are the things that she thought were needed in order to get more girls interested in competitive soccer not just recreational soccer. And a lot of it came down to getting girls to see other girls out there, but being coached by women was, mm-hmm. was a big part of it. There's a whole bunch of reasons, I'm sure, why more women aren't coaching. Not that they wouldn't want to, but there's more women in the workforce. They're you know raising families. It's a huge time commitment. I would love to see Frankie coached my daughter by female coaches, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think so much about playing a team sport as somebody that's young is about the lessons that you learn. Brad, we've talked a lot about that. The lessons that your boys are learning playing sports and baseball, a lot of it isn't even related to baseball. So I'd love to figure out a way to, you know, get more women out coaching. And I I don't know where the breakdown starts or what are some tangible things that we could do but to me that would 
that would help. So I, I would say this. I think here's something that's really been identified during the pandemic over the last 12, 12 months. And that is that the programming has to be customed, customized to the viewer. We talked about the CBS partnership uh, with Nickelodeon and the yeah. NFC playoff games. That's a really interesting approach that I think a lot of the media companies are going to have to take to have female-related content and female-related uh, you know, color analysts and more specific, you know, female focused conversation pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think you, I, I mean, and would you be more engaged in a, a show if it was all women commentators and they were explaining and talking about things? That would relate more to women. Definitely. Sometimes yeah. when they're talking, I just zone out because I'm like, that's not terminology i'm aware of interesting mm-hmm. you know one of the things i think is going to definitely be impacted by all of this is you are starting to see more women coaches like in the nfl for example microsoft did a huge commercial with a the first female coach in an nf on an nfl team with the woman that was coaching the 49ers and i hate that i can't remember her name but you know they put a whole campaign around it, it was a big push you're starting to see women officials now on nfl fields more female coaches in the nba right? There is a trend, but that doesn't mean that women are coaching and helping other women. It just means they're getting more involved in more mainline, more mainstream sports, which is interesting and will hopefully increase, you know, the Vanderbilt conversation. Mm -hmm. That girl from the soccer team gets pulled up because of COVID. There's not enough people on the team to actually kick the football. She comes out there and makes global news by kicking an onside kick or a pooch kick, really, right? No field goal attempt, anything. Then she goes back out there a week or two later, makes a field goal, and it's even bigger news. It's exciting and sad that that kind of small feat becomes such a big deal, but it's those types of things that are going to be building blocks for you know, more exciting moments. But my question to you, Anne, is what would make you and your roommates watch more? For us men out there, how do we engage our wives or girlfriends or friends, female friends in the sports that we want to watch? Uh, we started a fantasy league this year. It was my first year doing it. And that a hundred percent made me watch way more. Cause I was like, my players on there. So I don't know how to get more girls to download the app and get a team, like incentivize it. I think that maybe they should advertise like during the bachelor to like, get people like somehow do a collaboration with the bachelor. Maybe I feel like when Jordan Rogers was, or like now that he's a commenter for it, that's like helping maybe a little bit the bachelor world. I don't know. Something about aligning the bachelor and, Football, I think, is going to help in making it more like relationship. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, there's a lot of um, cro- they call it cross promotion on the networks. That's what CBS and, and you know and Viacom did with Nickelodeon. Margaret Ann actually does a lot of it with uh, Turner around March Madness. They will create a lot of cross promotion in other channels to try to get people to tune in. So it's definitely happening, but it's not happening in the right capacities. And I would say that. I actually live in a household that is so the opposite. My Margaret Ann probably, if you challenged it and clocked us, she would watch more sports than I watch because I spend all day talking about it and paying attention to it during the day. So when we're you know on the weekends or whatever, she's probably even more attuned to what's going on with sports outside of more mainstream stuff that we watch on the regular. But hey, Ann, I want to ask you more uh, about some of the sports you played growing up and some of the coaches because i think we have a lot of dads out there whose whose kids are probably at that age you know six seven eight nine ten eleven when you start playing team sports or maybe if you get up to 10 11 12 you start thinking about what sports you really want to hone in on tell me about the coaches you had growing up were they men were they women did your friends play sports right so i had a female coach for the majority of my life and then in high school I switched to a men's coach but I wish I kept the same women's coach the whole entire time because she was incredible but I just didn't have as great of a connection with my male coach yeah and what about your friends did they have did they play a lot of sports like the the people you run around with now I was in college and I would probably say like of all my friend groups in high school and college and today probably like 30 percent played sports in high school yeah so very small. And did do you remember, like, did some of your friends just start sort of dropping out of sports, like in middle school or yeah, before? Yeah, like the stats I'm reading, it's like, I don't know the exact number of the drop-off, but after 12, there's like a drastic drop-off of women leaving sports. Why do you think that is? Personally, I think it's like 
guys are saying it's like not as cool or girls are just finding other interests but maybe like you're not realizing gender roles and then when you're growing up you realize it's kind of boyish or tomboyish to continue to play sports so you get made fun of or bullied for not being girly yeah i know we've talked a lot about how social media especially with today's generation and the prevalence of young people's use of social media I got to think that has a big impact on I can't decisions imagine. the kids make, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know for my daughter, the one thing that has been kind of an ongoing sort of conversation is she's really into dance and she's really into acting and she's really into performing. And, and I think that's awesome because that's building so much confidence in performing and, you know, she's practicing twice a week and all this. But I was tickled inside that, you know, the last two springs she played softball. And then, like I said, this fall she played soccer. And then literally the last game she said, I want to play in again. I want to play again in the spring. I'm on the sidelines. You know, we work in the backyard. I've put the baseball net up here the last couple of weeks. And she'll come out, batting gloves on, bat in hand, ready to hit. I just hope that I keep sort of feeding that, whether she ends up playing sports or not, or plays softball or decides to pursue soccer. As we've talked about, Brad, I mean, I think there's so many good things that come from kids participating in something, you know, it's huge. And, And whether it's dance or it's softball or it's soccer, keeping them engaged in activities like that to the extent that that you can, I think makes a makes a big difference and she's still young enough that she's trying to figure out you know probably where those interests are part of this is social but uh and it's it's important it's really really important topic so and final thoughts on what us guys can do to try to help the women in our lives whether they be wives girlfriends or just friends enjoy sports help them understand sports more and find that way to kind of you know, enjoy it all together without mansplaining or any of that. I mean, what's your, what's your suggestion? I suggest that parents not like force them obviously, but just really push their girls to continue to play. Cause a lot of things I was reading was that parents, they're more focused on their boys being better at sports and their boys like sports career and they lose sight of their daughters sometimes. So just remembering that you have a daughter that they should play as much so there I think it's parenting. Andres, I'm not going to push Roxy in any girls' sports. She's a dog, but you have a beautiful girl. That's that's up on that's a, that's on you, buddy. We're we're in it to win it, my friends. That's good advice. That's a good topic, and uh, it's it's something we ought to keep, you know, coming back to. Yeah, definitely. Fantastic. Good stuff, man. Good first real talks with twist. I like the topic. Nice work. All right, let's wrap things up here. I spent the weekend with my boys on our first official guys trip you know i think it's just important to talk a little bit about how we spend time with our kids and we make that time as i've told you guys i've been doing this big calendar club build your life resume initiative and we're building up towards this massive misogi this big bike ride at the you know the middle of the year this summer but it calls for you to take time to schedule these trips. Jesse uh, Itzler calls them Kevin's Rule trips. And every month or every other month, you have to do something you wouldn't normally do or go somewhere you wouldn't normally go and make time for you, right? So I have, through my daily vitamins, and which are the kind of the daily activities I try to do every day, and these Kevin's Rules trips, tried to schedule time that I'm going to be spending with the boys. So a couple things came out of this weekend. One, it's the first time we've been away from Margaret Ann, the three of us, probably ever, right? Unless she was just traveling. That's the first time we traveled away from her. And we realized we really miss her. We had a, you know, we had a great time, but you know, at the end of the day, it's more fun when she's around. But I spent a lot of time talking to the boys about respecting their mom, making sure that we really put an emphasis on the respect that we give her, the person we should respect more than anybody in the world. And I think that's important to teach boys to Anne's point, like teach boys that when they become men, that there is a higher respect for 
females, whether they be older than you, whether they be related to you, whether they be your peers or younger, fine. Always make time to be respectful in those situations. Um, so we talked a lot about that because, you know, my kids back talk, right? You know, and just like everybody's kids. And I realized that if I'm not being and showing, setting the good example of Mar- being respectful to Margaret Ann and all things and not saying things to her that I shouldn't, being a smart ass sometimes or, or, you know, saying something derogatory that I'm not really trying to be mean with or not, not, we're not fighting, but, you know, give her a jab about her driving or whatever it is. The boys are capturing all of that. So we talked a lot about that this weekend. I also got to know my boys with their buddies, right? Because we had two other kids there and I got to see how they reacted and I got to see how they worked in challenging situations. Um, something, you know, something that was outside of their comfort zone, right? And how their manners were going to be when they were working with another family and were sharing a cabin and all that kind of stuff. So I say all of that only because the first lesson for me was really a realization of how I need to talk to them more instead of kind of always reprimanding them for what they do, talk to them as adults. And we had each of them, we talked about how they are now becoming little men and I'm going to treat them that way as long as they continue to act that, that way. And we'll have these types of fun things to do in these fun conversations. So I was really, really pretty aware, you know, pretty self-aware and a really pretty cool moment for me. Andres, I've got a whole nother lesson that I've learned, but before I, I get into that, anything that, kind of comes to mind anything that you've seen and have you traveled with your kids to a point where you, you know, understand that you got to make time for just you and them. And one of the other things that we're doing is I'm going to take a trip with just each boy individually. Mm -hmm. And we're going to try to do that twice a year. So I will get two trips, four trips total, two with each boy. Well, let me be your travel agent. First of all, with all that traveling you're going to do, I took a trip with Renzo when he was four. He's our middle child to California to see my brother and listening to you talk about your build up to going skiing and your experience skiing with all the highs and lows and everything in the middle. Uh, it brought back a lot of memories and our youngest one's now four. And that's one of the things that's been difficult with COVID is that he and I have not had a chance to go do that same trip. And I think about those experiences, some of the pictures of Renzo jumping in the ocean, my brother bonding with Renzo, seeing his, you know, excitement of getting in the car, going to the airport, getting on the plane, flying across the country. I mean, you know, it brought me back to some of the, you know, some of the advice I got when, you know, our kids were born, which was, you just, don't blink because it goes by really, really fast. And those are the those are the lifelong experiences that I mean, that's what parenting's all about. So I'm I'm down with uh taking the kids for weekend trips and uh I hope that I'll be able to do that with all three of my kids, you know, at least once a year as they're as they're growing up, because you just don't get that time often. And in a blink they'll be eighteen. Yeah, and man, off to college. It's crazy. Hopefully. <laughs> ben and I were talking. He was asking me today, uh, or he was asking me on our trip when he was going to get his car. And I realized it's only eight <laughs> years away that he turned 16. You know, wow. not even, seven and a half. I will tell you the second thing that I learned is that it truly takes a village. I never could have taken my two boys skiing. Ben got it pretty quick, got frustrated with the fact that he wasn't able to go farther along. Andrew got it better the second day. But I still wasn't in a position to where I could take them up the slopes myself, right? So thank God for my buddy Todd, who was so gracious with his time to take time away from his boys to go help my kids learn, right? I mean, and I know you and I would do this with each other's kids, and it takes a very special relationship for people to understand that it does take that village, But I have never, and this is the inside, you know, under the kimono look, I have never felt helpless as a dad, but I did this weekend. I kind of consider myself, you know, a renaissance man, right? Like I really think I could probably take on anything. And if I'm, if I don't know how to do it, I'm going to give it a try. 
right? Whether it's building this or fixing that or trying this. But I, I mean, I physically could not have done anything this weekend. And it's pretty humbling to know that your kids are so jazzed about something. And I don't know if your kids ever looked at you and you could feel their disappointment, but that happened to me this weekend with Ben. He was disappointed that I couldn't go with him up on the bigger slopes, right? And that is gut-wrenching. I felt an inch tall because I couldn't do it. My eight-year-old was getting something better than I was. Now, I know why. So my pride's not hurt that I can't ski. But I couldn't explain to him why and what the difference was. And what's interesting about that, in my opinion, is that, again, I, I had this great friend who could help. I had to explain Ben. I took the opportunity to explain Ben how we were a team, that he was working with Andrew and me. We were all going to get better together the more we practice on this small slope so that we could all go do it one day. But I'll tell you what, man, I have just, I've never felt that way as a dad. And it was, I mean, it was, it was tough to deal with. I got emotional actually sitting there while Todd was taking time away from his kids to take mine up the mountain because I now saw them doing what they really enjoyed. I saw them being able to explore and try something new. And if I had done that, dude, I'd never, I wouldn't even know how to get on a chairlift. We would have all been crushed by a chairlift in the mountains of North Carolina. And you would have never heard from us again. But luckily we had, you know, we had that relationship. We had the opportunity for them to do that. And I just, I say all of that only because for me, it was the best first trip we ever could have taken because now I know how we're going to work together and how I can handle and overcome those things. And that was a big deal. So I had to kind of have my couch session with you guys during all of this. But for any dad out there who doesn't think they can do something with their kids, I would say first, don't be afraid to try it because my fat ass did not need to be on skis. One, I was more anxious going into this weekend than I have been about anything else in my life because I was afraid, didn't know what to expect, afraid I was get hurt, whatever. But I came out of it on the other end. I am so excited and so happy that we did it. That feeling is totally gone because I know I did the right thing for my boys and it was absolutely incredible. Memories that we will absolutely have for a lifetime. Um, now I'll just pick smarter trips to where I can actually do it. <laughs> well, listening to you give that perspective, which I think is, I think it's important. And I, I, I think you definitely came back and I'm pretty sure during that weekend were thinking I'm married to the greatest woman on earth. Number one, you, you, you come to appreciate it does take a village. Number one, no doubt. And number two, you probably, again, we're driving home, I'm sure at some point on Sunday, and you're like, thank God I have a friend like Todd, you know, which, which, which you said. One, one thing you were, one thing that came to mind when you were describing that experience is with that trip to California, I remember, look, I mean, we can be the greatest dads and we're, we're blessed. We have, you know, we, we have amazing kids. We're bragging on them all the time. Right. But at this age, nothing's replacing mama, <laughs> you know, like there's no question for me. Like I, I realize real quickly, as much as I love playing catch with our kids out back and kicking the ball, like when they're hurt, they don't want me at this age, they want her oh, and yeah. she can comfort them. Like uh, it's just an innate quality. She's had that from the, I mean, and it's, it's not about she, she's got it and I don't, it's just amazing to see that that came to mind when you were describing that experience and and so in california i remember renzo is the type of kid that just goes 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 and he doesn't he doesn't realize like how tired he is and then he just hits a wall right and so i think the second day we we're out there he was just he was just exhausted and we were going and he just hit a wall and he started feeling kind of sick and it was to your point about feeling like helpless, like, shit, I'm all the way out here in California. I don't know if this is serious or not. And he was just emotionally drained, physically drained. He was probably dehydrated. I think we had been at the zoo. And my natural reaction is like, bro, I, I don't know. So we go back to his apartment and I called Heidi 
thank God she answered. And I'm like, here's what's going on. And she's like, he's just tired. Put him down for a nap. He'll wake up in two hours and he'll be totally fine. Yeah. And God bless her. I put him down for two hours. He woke up and he was like a totally different kid. And it's just that that feeling of knowing for me that I have a partner, a spouse, somebody like Heidi that I can call. I mean, it's just, it's, I just feel very, very fortunate. And uh, it, it does take a village. Um, yeah, man. And you can't ever predict what's going to go wrong. If you would have asked yeah. me how the weekend went, I would have had the exact reverse setup, where Andrew would have gotten it so much faster and Ben would have been the one that got really frustrated. And I got a curveball because it was the opposite. So you can never be prepared, but I would just tell you, give it your best and, and try not to get frustrated. I was trying my best not to get frustrated. It didn't work twice. But, I, but, you know, it was it was still memories that'll last forever. And as crazy and as terrible as the trip started, it couldn't have ended any better. So, anyway, let's jump into this week's Final Four. All right, gang. Final Four, craziest thing you've ever done. I'll start trying to ski at 42. Mic drop. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I, I, I have something that crazy. For me, it was... Decided to go live in Europe after spending my whole life in the Midwest, and it changed my life for the better in so many ways. But separating from everything I knew and all my friends and being away from family, going over there for three years, it, uh, I don't know, at the time it felt like a big, 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 big decision, uh, but it turned out to be the best decision. Awesome. Twist what you got. I guess I'm going to say when I went to Texas for this summer camp, not knowing anyone, and it was like a teen mom summer camp that I was going to work at for the summer, but it ended up being the most rewarding experience. That's pretty amazing. I'm just glad you didn't go to a teen mom's teen mom's camp because you're a teen mom. That would be a, that'd be a newsflash that we hadn't got to yet on Viz Dads. All right, and I will say for our fourth and final the three of us collectively starting this podcast, doing it for 33 episodes, not giving up yet, getting ready to take the podcasting world by storm. Hey guys, great show. Lots of fun. Always a pleasure just to kind of dig into some of these things. And we hope everybody's enjoying kind of the new format. Final thoughts? I think there's something called the Super Bowl. We didn't get to talk about it. Hopefully next week we'll be discussing the greatest quarterback matchup of all time as some pundits have said lived up to the hype of course i have my chiefs winning by a field goal and a nail biter oh a field goal and what do you got let's put our super bowl picks out there put them in the universe i'm a really big tom brady fan so i'm gonna go with bucks i'm in your camp twist the bucks i mean i'm not picking against the chiefs because i don't like them because they beat my browns i really think this is like the year of tom brady and the chiefs already beat him once it's hard to beat Tom Brady two times in a row. But good luck to your Chiefs, Andres. That's this week's Biz Dads. We're out of here. <laughs>